and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, call me Ahab, because this is, is that his name? Ahab? Kevin Ahab? Long time since I read the book, but I, I got a white whale is what I'm getting at. Sammy Zane is on the show. You may know him as a superstar WWE wrestler. You may know him as, well, that's probably where you know him from because his past is very mysterious. We will get into that a little bit in a second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at turnedatapunk.com podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. There is a turn at a punk Instagram page as well as a turn at a punk Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. Just look up turned out a punk in either one of those two places and you will find those things and you will be able to get in touch with him if you so choose and he will get the message to me and he also is in charge of booking the guests so if you got a guest suggestion email him about it and uh that 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 will be how we will work on stuff um but and also if you would like to support the show the best way to do that is by subscribing to it rating it reviewing it doing whatever you do on your chosen podcast distribution platform, or you can just tell your friends. Just tell all your friends about the good times and the the fun guests that we have here on Turned Out of Punk. And speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the loving, kind support of the fine folks at Vans Shoes. They just wrapped up House of Vans, Brooklyn. They closed the doors on that place. I've had so many cool memories there, including the upcoming episode featuring Craig Satari and Fletcher from Pennywise. That'll be in the near future. Um, but yeah, like I, I gone, but not forgotten. Played with a lot of great bands there. Got to do uh, some fun podcast stuff there. So, you know, a lot of good memories wrapped up in that place. But thank you, Vance, for supporting this podcast and letting me book whoever the heck I want. I think, you know, you can see from this podcast guest list that we keep going from strength to strength, but you can never guess what's coming up next on this show. Chance other might be a little more wrestling. You know, that's a fairly safe guess. You can probably guess there'll be more wrestling on Turn at a Punk in the future and more wrestling on Turn at a Punk today, because today on the show... We have an amazing wrestler, Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn burst onto the scene in NXT out of nowhere um, with no previous experience on the indies. He just kind of skyrocketed to the top of NXT and now is on the WWE main roster. You can see him wrestling. Well, right now he's injured, but when he's not, you will see him put on some of the greatest matches you have ever seen. And he's also friends and and a, a close relation, I guess friend is probably the best way to put it, with the famous independent wrestler, El Generico. And we talk a little bit about El Generico on the show because, um, you know, he, he knows a little bit about this guy, you know. For all of you people that are listening right now that aren't wrestling fans, this sounds incredibly confusing. But just, just Google it. None of that will bog down this episode because this episode, even if you don't like wrestling – is just an amazing conversation 
of two different people that are fascinated by the connection between these two art forms. This is a really fun conversation. I've now uh, to listen back to this thing, and it is killer. It is such a fun episode. Um, yeah, we, we talk about a lot of really great stuff. I'm still putting up those playlists, by the way. There will be a playlist for this episode going up on Spotify, and hopefully people put it up on other streaming services. And uh, yeah, check it out, because there's a lot of great songs on it. And speaking of checking stuff out, please go to sammyforsyria.com, make a donation, and help out Sammy's, uh, you know, amazing, well, he's not doing the actual physical work, but check out some of the great awareness he's raising and fundraising he's doing for an amazing organization that helps people in Syria that are victims of, of, of a war, a war that's gone on for far too long at this point. So, uh, do yourself and the rest of the world a favor and check out that stuff. Sammy for Syria, please. Um, and that's it. Okay. I'm not going to blabble, blabble blather on anymore. Blather, is that even a word too? I'm really tired. I got this new job, so I'm working during the day. So it's very late at night. It's like time I record footnotes hours with Chris O'Toole. So I'm that level of delirious right now. So I will leave it at this. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Sami Zayn on Turned Out a Punk. Yeah, I'm sure it's just going to be very scattered. <laughs> that's the best way. Believe me, like the best yeah. ones are the ones that jump all over the place. And believe me, that's the way my mind works too. So, uh, Sammy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, this is our third attempt uh, at doing this, but third time's the charm, as they say. So they say, yeah, this is the first time we're trying it by phone. So hopefully that's uh, that'll fix the, the technical glitches that we came across last time. Yeah, like it's it's a weird situation where distance makes it easier, but that's the way it goes sometimes <laughs> with this podcast, I find. Right. So the interesting thing about last time it was actually it was our first meeting. Yes. And we we tried to record the first meeting and just, you know, basically getting to know each other, but I mean it it, it didn't work out too well. But I do think if we were able to extract some of those nuggets or some good stuff in there, but you know, whatever. Here we are now. Well, I'm I'm really glad we did kind of have that meeting because I think I, uh, I don't know, like you're, you're someone who, um, you know, like you put yourself out there obviously, and you do, you know, some amazing charity work, which we'll talk about later on and stuff. But like, you know, you're someone that I think has a lot of mystery kind of about you. So I'm glad I had that opportunity to kind of talk to you and kind of figure out, you know, not completely what you're about by any stretch of the imagination, but kind of like get your general kind of orientation as a person. Yeah. And actually, you know, I got to be honest, I'd say that's a little bit by design. Uh, I'm a somewhat private person, despite being a somewhat public figure, I guess, mm-hmm. I mean, at least in, you know, our world of professional wrestling. Uh, and our fans are extremely uh, inquisitive and they really want to know a lot about uh, the, the people the ca- behind the characters. And I think um, I think it may actually go back to my prior life on the independence uh the independent wrestling scene to where my identity was more mysterious from a very early point in my career even when i was so far from being a wwe star or anything like that you know i'm still wrestling in front of 100 people for 40 bucks and i was still already very protective of my identity mm-hmm. 
because of the nature of that character that I played. And so I think that kind of uh, followed me my whole career to even now where when I'm in WWE, I'm still very protective of my privacy. And as much as the fans kind of want to get in and find out everything uh, about you and your personal life, uh, I've always kind of kept that at a certain distance, I think by design. And I think, I think maybe it even goes back to just the start of my career. Uh, but it's harder, it's getting harder and harder because nowadays, I mean, that's, especially with social media, that's kind of the norm of, of people letting, uh, the world in on all their personal stuff. So I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't jive with my personality. So, uh, but based on anything you've, you've heard about me or, you know, I'm pretty vocal about certain issues. So, I mean, it's not too hard to figure out what I think about a lot of things, but, I, I do purposely kind of try to keep a distance, but, but I've listened to your show, uh, a bunch, uh, you've had some very, very interesting guests on and guys that I'm a huge fan of. So I'm, I'm excited to be doing this one. Well, I'm, ex- I'm beside myself excited to have you on the show. You are one of my white whale guests. And I think it's because, you know, there is that kind of like mystery that I was just figuring, you know, maybe it would never happen. Uh, but also you are responsible in a roundabout way for one of the other white whale guests appearing on the show, our mutual friend, one Jesse Michaels. I owe that completely to you. Yeah. He mentioned, <laughs> he mentioned to me, I texted him or something. I don't, I don't remember why, but I, I sent him a text and, uh, and then I told him, Hey, I listened to your podcast with, uh, with Damien and I, I, it was great, you know? And he goes, Oh, actually we kind of, you know, the whole way we kind of got to talking was about you. So kind of accidentally middleman that but that's crazy to me that that i i was actually listening to op ivy in the car on the way coming back from my rehab i just had shoulder surgery so on the way back from rehab to my house i'm listening to operation IV, and it still blows my mind like what i know jesse michaels i can just <laughs> I <know. text> them. <laughs> it blows my mind I that album just such a i mean that that energy record is just uh i mean pfft. I dare say perfect. I don't know. It's, it's, it's everything I like about punk rock is, is that, is that record. That record is, is everything. And also much like yourself, he's another one that, you know, was really mysterious. Like whatever happened to Jesse, like you knew what happened to Tim and you knew what happened to Matt and you even knew what happened to uh, Mello, you know, like, but you just yeah. didn't know what happened to Jesse till common rider. Yeah. Uh, it's, he, I told you this last time when we talked, but I was talking to M Dog about this because uh, Matt Cross, who I believe you had on your show already, absolutely friend time, of the show. Uh, so right before I, who's by the way, probably him and Robbie Brookside, I will say are probably the two biggest punks in wrestling. Uh, but so I was going, I was on a holiday loop, and this is the day before I meet Jesse for the first time in Pittsburgh. We're doing uh, some shows around the, the holiday season. And we have a show in Detroit and the next one's in Pittsburgh. So I got a big, long drive. I'm driving alone for whatever reason. And I stop halfway at a hotel in Cleveland. So I meet up with M-Dog, you know, Matt Cross. He lives in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And we catch up and all this stuff. And then I tell him after, I go, oh, my God, dude, I just realized. Do you want to come with me to Pittsburgh? I'm going to meet Jesse Michaels tomorrow. (laughs) And he was so tempted, but he couldn't end up doing it. And then after we met... I was so blown away and I text them dog and I'm like, dude, what the hell? Oh, you know? And, uh, and he, he said this line that I just thought was so great. He, he, about Jesse, 
he goes, I, I just can't even believe he's a person. He's more of an idea to me. Yeah. Because he's been so reclusive and he's part of this like seminal record and, you know, and, and just he's almost become like mythological. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So to mm-hmm. actually meet the guy behind it and he's a totally nice guy, great guy. Uh, it was pretty cool. That's that's kind of like a bucket list thing for me too as far as my punk uh, influences or whatever it is. That was pretty crazy to me, Jesse Michaels, for sure. Well, and, and he's also like – you know, much in the same way, like, you know, you, you want to keep yourself private because there's what the public perceives you to be versus who you are as a person. And he's like another person, like I can only imagine the, the weight of that, you know, to be that young and to suddenly become like an icon to like an entire generation that you grew up a part of, but now all of a sudden you're, you're like the hero. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, and I'm sure when he was young and they were mm-hmm. doing op ivy they had no idea the uh you know i don't know that they were necessarily recording that stuff and thinking my god this is going to be some generation defining (laughs) stuff right here you know i don't think they thought that that far ahead but like here we are today talking about it all these years later you know so uh but certainly i i do understand that what you're saying the idea behind that can be suffocating like uh having people's expectations kind of dumped on you and then like what trying to have to live up to their idea of what they think about you and match that with who you are as a person. And, uh, who needs that? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need, I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that. I don't want to have to try to live up to people's expectations of what they think I am. And that's another part of, again, like kind of keeping my space, you know, to myself because I don't know, you know, well, I was going to say like back, you know, when you were more mysterious, you know, um, in the before time, uh, was that part of it? Like, do you think you be- wanted to become that mysterious character because you wanted to avoid, you know, obviously you had no idea, you know, much in the same way Opera- Operation Ivy recording those songs where it would go. But at the same time, like, did you want to kind of be able to like take it off when you weren't in the ring? Um. I mean, How do you the, mean by that? I mean, like the, the, the whole character, like you can actually, sure. you, you can be someone else when you leave that, that when you leave your job. Oh yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and I'll tell you, this is going to sound kind of insane. Okay. But so I, I would occasionally watch matches back, back then mm-hmm. of, of mine. And, uh, mm. so the, the, oh, sorry about that. No, no, no. So there was, there was, um, you know, without spilling all the, the, the beans here, there was a mm. mask involved, right? So I was wearing a mask and, uh, and once in a while I'd see a match of mine. If my hair was growing out a little long or the mask was tied too tight or whatever, you would see a little bit of hair sticking out from the back of the mask. Yeah. And that drove me absolutely crazy because as crazy as this is going to sound, I felt like when I was watching that character, it was not me. That was truly the character without sounding, you know, pretentious actorish about it. Like, you know, it was like a different person. The movement was different. The behavior was different. Obviously pieces of my real personality went into that character, but, but you know, that was a different person. That was a different character I was watching. But when I saw that little bit of hair sticking out in the back of the mask, I'm like, shit, because it <laughs> reminds you, it reminds you that there's a person there's a face, there's a human, there's a head of human hair under there. There's a face under there. There's a whole, there, there's a guy playing this character. And mm-hmm. I hated that. Mm-hmm. I hated that. 
You know, I really love the the disassociation between the character and what does this guy do in real life? What what does he do? You know, uh, during the week, what 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 does this guy eat? What does this guy do? Like, let I like the idea of letting fans speculate about that stuff, and I, I guess this 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 is all you know philosophical and how you approach approach the idea of being a public figure or or stardom or whatever you want to call it, but. Uh, I guess the one approach is to let fans in on everything. And the other approach is like, I don't know, the Axl Rose or the Jesse Michaels or the whatever, where you're, you become so reclusive that you're more interesting in a way because people have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's weird. I think on the one hand, people really love knowing everything, but I think in another way, they kind of love not knowing either. And it almost makes you even bigger in their heads to them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, you can tell I'm super excited because I've broke my format for the show. Um, so I'm going to have to rein myself in a little bit, Sammy, and bring myself back on track and ask you the same question I ask everyone normally way before at this point in the show. But how, right. did, you, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across that genre? Yeah, so I think it's the same story as a lot of kids who are, you know, born in the eighties and grew up in the nineties and whatever. And it's that punk explosion in you know, 94 and green day kind of becomes huge. And, you know, some kid, you know, at school, uh, shows you the stuff. I mean, it was the same story for me. So I'm in the maybe fourth grade and dookie comes out and, uh, you know, becomes this monumental album and it becomes mainstream and huge. And then I had this kid, this friend of mine, Angelo DeCorey, and this kid was super, um, ahead of his time (laughs) and that, you know, this is way pre-internet and pre-Twitter and pre-message boards and pre-everything, but he always like had his finger on the pulse of like, what were the new bands to listen to? And you grew up, okay, so you grew up in Toronto. You'll remember this. I tell people this uh, in the States and and they find it crazy, especially in this day and age, but you remember HMV when you were a kid Mm -hmm. before CD burners came out. You could just go to HMV with CDs, no receipt, and be like, <laughs> "Yep, hey, uh, I got this as a Christmas gift. Uh, I don't <laughs> like them. Yep. And you were allowed to take new CDs. <laughs> mm-hmm. What a racket, you know? I completely forgot about that. But that, yeah, that was an amazing scam back then. So that is actually how uh, Angelo and then, you know, me and by proxy through Angelo, uh, started discovering these bands because, you know, you had all these CDs and you're, you know, you're returning like Perry Como's Christmas <laughs> and you're getting, you know, you're getting punk and Drublick or whatever, or you're getting outcome the wolves and you're getting all these albums uh, because, you know, maybe he heard about them in hit parader or, or whatever, one of those types of magazines where, uh, Oh, if you like green day, you know, you'll love sublime or you'll love no doubt. Or mm-hmm. you'll, have you heard of rancid? And then if you heard of rancid, you know, then you backtrack to op Ivy. And so that's kind of the, that, that, that was kind of how I, I got into it. And I would say the, the first thing that really, really, so rancid was probably the first band outside of green day where rancid really that outcome, the wolves album I mean, even at a young age, I was just blown away. It was so melodic and catchy, every single song. You know, I still think, I mean, I would put that record and Op Ivy, those two records, as like the two top to bottom, just most stacked, no skippers, just straight through unbelievable punk albums of all time. And, uh, and it's so eclectic, that record too. Like there's like 
spoken word pieces by by um Jim Carroll like there's like all different genres of songs like they were really playing with like the full range of themselves as a band by that point right and so also when you're when I was that age and I really knew very little to nothing about punk and then you're you know you're hearing time bomb and it's this big song and it's got a music video playing on music plus and much music mm-hmm. uh, for you know the canadians and quebecers there they don't know what i'm talking about but then <laughs> you know all of a sudden this song just breaks down into this like reggae part and you're like what the hell yeah <laughs> you don't understand i didn't you know i didn't understand the correlation between uh you know jamaican skinhead culture and the influence on punk and and the clash and all this stuff like i don't know any of this i'm just hearing these guys who you know in 94 have all these tattoos and look like these hairy ass dudes mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they burst into reggae and you don't know what's going on so i mean uh <laughs> it was it was kind of eye-opening and i don't know man and then what really uh, after that what was a really cool way to uh, get introduced to all these different bands were those fat music samplers Cause they were like three ninety nine. I remember mm-hmm. on the, uh, on the label, on the back of the label, it actually would say, do not pay more than three bucks for this CD. So that was the first time that I was kind of introduced to the punk, uh, sort of ethos in a sense of like, you shouldn't pay a lot of money to hear this. This should be accessible to everybody. Don't let them like, don't let them trick you into paying more for this than you should. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that message, that without even realizing it, um, that message really resonated with me as just, I guess, my personality. But so I debate this all the time um, with regards to it's like a chicken and the egg situation. I don't know if punk shaped who I am or if I just gravitated towards the punk, you know, punk and the punk mentality because of my personality as it is, you know, so it's. I don't know what came first, but all I know is reading those, reading that sentence on the back of that CD saying, don't, don't pay more than three or four bucks, whatever it is for this CD. I was like, oh, hell yeah, man. That's awesome. And then you got, you know, you got to hear 15 or 16 bands that you didn't, you know, you don't know all of them, you know, no effects or something, or you maybe heard of Lagwagon, but now you've got all these bands and all of a sudden you're, you're hearing, oh, high standard and you're hearing, uh, you know, me first in the gimme gimmies and, and all these bands that you just I wouldn't have heard of otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it was a really cool way to to get you in. Uh, I love those fat samplers like f- Survival of the Fattest and what's the other one? Physical Fatness, like Physical Volume fatness. Volume Three. Yeah, and then Short Music yeah, for yeah. Short People was the other the short song. Yeah, one? that came a little wild. Those two, especially though. Yeah, well, I just think you know you think about those accessibility, those compilations, and then like. For someone like me hearing propaganda do nation states and it's like then getting the propaganda record and being introduced to like yeah. Howard Finn and Noam Chomsky at like 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Dude, I remember hearing nation states and I mean, talk about it going over your head at 13. I was like, <laughs> whoa, you guys are talking about some serious stuff that like at that point in my life, I had no interest in. Mm-hmm. But I listened to them now and it's funny because propaganda is sort of the band that I would say I've kind of been like most into recently, maybe in the last year that I sort of, I've, you know, kind of known forever, but I really delved into their catalog more in the last year. And I, I just kind of think to myself, man, they were so ahead of their time as far as, uh, and we actually talked about this a little when we met that one time, about putting, you know, even 
what is it, animal friendly, pro, you know, gay friendly, what is it, uh, anti-fascist. Yeah, yeah. And they put all that stuff right there on their album cover in like 95 or 96, Ooh. whenever that um, Let's Talk More Rock record comes out. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, like, okay, today, this is par for the course, but in 96, like the mentality of the, the California, you know, skater punk, uh, you know, it was just so far removed from that. Yeah, yeah definitely. So it was so ahead of its time in that regard. And you listen to the lyrics and you listen to the music, all that stuff. It could have come out yesterday, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's like the one of those, one of the few bands probably that I can honestly say probably made me a better person or at least a most, a more aware person to try and become a better person. Through. Hey, it all, st- it all starts with awareness in my opinion, but yeah. that could be a whole other podcast. I could go on for an hour about, uh, <laughs> you know, self-improvement and all that stuff. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at in my life and in my head right now, this stage of my life. So, uh, but you got to think about these things. And you know, yeah. when I was 13, it kind of like, it opens the gateway, but you don't, you don't kick the door in just yet. Some more than others. For me, it wasn't like that. Um, so then, you know, as I got a little bit older, uh, high school and all that stuff, I kind of like stopped listening to it a little bit. Um, just cause I fell in love with the Beatles and I fell in love with, uh, just a, a few bands, but really the Beatles. And so I started listening to a lot more just like sixties and sixties and seventies rock and all this stuff. And then what actually brought me back into the punk world way harder than, uh, that even when I was a teenager was uh, I got booked for a show in Lake Tahoe and by this guy named Kevin Gill. I, you know him. Yep. It, great guy. Juggalo. OG Kevin Gill. Absolutely. Hardcore. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so I get booked and then I check the website just to see where the town is. So I could put it in my, uh, you know, my calendar and I see Lars Fredrickson on the poster <laughs> and I go, what the <laughs> hell? And it turns out he's running the show. He booked the show. He, there was the only, I, I think it's the only show he's ever ran. Him and Kevin Gill ran this random independent show, and I was sort of like the only, uh, you know, name guy, like fl- fly-in wrestler that they brought in. <laughs> so I was like, what the hell, Lars? Lars from Rancid? And so I started listening to Rancid again. I was like, holy shit. You know, I, for, I forgot how amazing this stuff is, and – I don't know. It kind of just wrote me back in really. And then meeting Lars and he's such a cool dude. And I yeah. I've heard his podcast on your show as well. And just such a cool dude. And it kind of blew my mind because I got there and he wanted to film some interview or whatever. And I kind of just gave him the, the heads up saying, Hey, just so you know, my character doesn't really talk a lot or whatever. He goes, Oh, Oh, trust me. I know about your character. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. And I was like, what? I know about you, dude. <laughs> you know, it was so crazy to me that he was a fan of my work and all these years, I mean, his music, I was such a huge fan of his work. And again, his, his albums might've, his work that might've, you know, changed the direction of my life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's pretty trippy. And I'm sure you experienced that too, with your, your band going from, uh, being a fan of all these people to being their peers and having them on your show and everything. It's a very cool, uh, it's a very cool and rewarding feeling when you go from, being a fan to being peers. It's, it's really cool. I think it's also like the thing that, you know, my, my obsession, like my true obsession, even more than just, you know, the, the punk stuff is the connection between punk and wrestling and like how, you know, whether, you know, you bring up Kevin Gill right there, but, or, or Lars or, or yourself or, or Matt Cross or like any number of other people. Like, it's just amazing how many people, like you're saying, did you choose this music or, 
did this music choose you kind of thing? Like it's one. Of those and there it is. Yeah. That's the million dollar question. I don't know, but mm. you're absolutely right. I do think there's a connection there. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's some pretty obvious, uh, parallels that you could draw in the sense that it's, uh, it's a bit of a, um, I don't want to say nerdy subculture, but it's certainly on the fringes and it's not mm-hmm. something that, you know, it feels like, okay, you go to school and you're a kid, uh, 90% of the kids in that class don't like this thing. So it kind of, you take possession of it and it becomes deeply personal to you, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you almost have this outcast feeling that you sort of embrace rather than being, um, I don't know, ashamed of it. Because I think when you're a kid, you kind of want to fit in. Mm-hmm. But then I think when you're into punk or you're into wrestling or you're into one of these comic books, whatever it is, if you're into one of these things that's almost viewed like, oh, you're into that, then you learn, which I think is an amazing life lesson, you learn to uh, celebrate and take pride in being different versus uh, being ashamed of it or wanting to fit in. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. I don't know for yeah. sure, but again, because it could go back to chicken or the egg. Like, mm. is my personality? Am I just the type mm. that's hardwired to to own my, uh, you know, whatever individuality or whatever? Like the things that make me different. Am I the type just naturally to embrace that, or did the or did being a fan of these sort of fringe subjects kind of make me? embrace it even more than I already would have. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I certainly think that there's a correlation in there. You know, I think, I think there's also like, definitely like, these are the two things that subvert the world around them. The, the best, you know, or at least like the proudest, you know, and like whether it's wrestling, subverting, what is entertainment, what is sports, what is everything, you know? And, and in the same way, punk rock subverts, like what is music? What is, what is catchy songs? What is, what is yeah, appropriate sure. content to sing about? That's a great point. Yeah. I didn't really think of it that way, but you're right. It kind of, it kind of challenges your, you know, your preconceived notions. Definitely. Uh, just in the case of punk, let's just say musically, but also like you said, a band like propaganda or something like that might open mm-hmm. your door and challenge the way you think in general about the world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's on a much deeper level, but um, but with regards to wrestling, you know, I don't even know because I, I don't fully even know with regards to wrestling, you know, what, what aspect of it really drew me in at such a young age. I, I don't even, I don't know. It might've just been the, 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 the performance art aspect of it. I was, I was a fairly, you know, hyperactive kid. I always was playing outside. I was always playing hockey and wrestling and just doing stuff. You know, I was very active. So I don't know if the physical aspect drew, drew me in, but certainly the, the drama and making people feel that way Mm -hmm. was very enticing to me because I loved how it felt when it was done to me. So the same way, you know, watching Hulk Hogan rip his shirt off and he's bloody and he's sweating and he's just been, he was in a 20 minute beat down, but he still somehow overcame the odds and, this big dramatic celebration and real American is playing. I mean that now my mind just blown, Yeah, you know, yeah. how do you, how do you show that to a five-year-old kid and not think it's the greatest thing you've ever seen? Mm-hmm. And that, so that feeling, I was like, Oh my God. And I want to do that. <laughs> I want to make people feel the way I felt. And so I think there's a certain level of that with people that get into punk is it affects you in such a deep way that you want to just, 
hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to do that to someone else. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's another parallel. Who knows? Totally. A hundred percent. I think it is. Were there other kids around you that were, you know, when you were younger, like that were into punk and into wrestling at the same time, or were you kind of like on two separate trips at once? <sighs> well, it's weird because punk and wrestling both mm. kind of got popular at the same time. Yeah. So it wasn't, I, I, I don't want to act like I was some big counterculture kid in a sense, because because in a way, not really, because, you know, in 96, 97, and everyone's listening to Rancid Records at my school, you know, 97, now WWF is blowing up and everybody's talking about that. What did you see Monday Night Raw last night? Oh, my God, Stone Cold. And oh, The Rock, uh, The Rock says, shut your mouth, jabroni. And, you know, like that was <laughs> that was the talk of that was the language of my uh, peers. So it was. It was not underground. It wasn't like I was the only kid listening to punk or the only kid watching wrestling. Far from it. I would almost say that with the other 14, 15-year-old boys of my school, that was sort of kind of the norm. You know, you throw skateboarding in there as well. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know, me and a bunch of my friends that weren't necessarily outcasts, um, you know, that's that's kind of what everybody was into. Or not everybody, but enough of us to where it wasn't like, oh, look how rebellious these guys are. It wasn't like that. I'd love to pretend it was just so I could come <laughs> off more punk, but that's not the case. You know? um, how much awareness was there amongst, you know, yourself and your peers at that point of like sort of the history of Quebec, specifically Montreal wrestling? Like, was that something that people were still aware of or is that like kind of like a, a, a like a leaner period for knowledge of that subject? Uh, for me, it was uh, zero pretty much. It was actually like two two out of a hundred because I would get the pro wrestling illustrated magazine and all these different magazines, the bill after magazines, the wrestler and yeah. inside wrestling and pro wrestling illustrated. And they would have this little section for arena reports, which is basically these independent companies from all over the country or whatever would send in the results from their indie shows. So you would see these names kind of pop up a lot. And that was kind of how I knew there was an independent scene. I just didn't even know there was an independent scene until I started buying these magazines and you see, you know, shows in South Carolina and you know, reckless youth defeated Mike Quackenbush or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you see them in Pennsylvania and you see all these names kind of popping up over and over and you're like, Oh, I've heard of Mike Quackenbush cause I've seen his name a bunch. But so at that point there was, uh, I went through, they would list it state by state and then they got to, Canada and there was one from Montreal for uh, a company called Northern Championship Wrestling and I go oh wow there's a there's a company here in Montreal I I never heard of it I didn't know but that actually still at that time didn't lure me into going into the independence and discovering that that only came probably four four or five years later I maybe first saw it in 96 98 97 98 and then I went to my first independent show maybe the end of 2000 or 2001. And that's where it all just, that was the day that uh, the line was crossed. I saw my first independent wrestling match and I go, yeah, yeah. Okay. I got to do this. And that was it. Did you go to a concert first or a wrestling uh, event first? Uh, oof. Great question. I actually want to say they were maybe like a month apart. The first big concert I went to, uh, no, it was, it was, I went to a concert before that. I saw Bon Jovi. At Good Montreal. show. Good show. Dude, 
Bon Jovi is so huge in Montreal. It's weird, <laughs> especially like from '94 to 2003. That got like it was insane. It was just Montreal is a super weird city where there's some acts that are just super super popular in that city. That are okay. They're popular elsewhere, but they're disproportionately popular in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Dennis the Young, the singer from Sticks, is one of those anomalies. <laughs> <laughs> He'll come to Montreal and sell out like five nights straight at Place des Arts. Montreal just loves this guy. It's so funny. But anyway, so I went to see Bon Jovi, uh, and that rocked my world because man, like I loved Bon Jovi growing up. And I knew all the lyrics to all those songs. So it was like the first concert where I'm going and I'm singing along to every song. And it was just a blast. And then probably within six months to eight months later, I think it is, I go and I see my first wrestling match. And um, not my first wrestling match, but my first independent wrestling match. And I'm pretty much front row or second row. And there's no guardrail between us and the ring. That was the first thing that blew my mind. And then the two guys like spill out of the ring (laughs) And they're doing a hardcore match. So the guy like smashes a beer bottle (laughs) on the ring post and then body slams the guy on the glass. This is like two feet away from me. And I never got into the like blood and guts aspect of the deathmatch stuff. I never really, especially when I became a wrestler, I never did much of that type of stuff anyway. But just seeing that and just having all these two feet away from me and the raw energy of all these fans and I mean, nothing's stopping me from, you know, nothing's stopping that glass from hitting me. <laughs> nothing's stopping me from sucker punching the, the bad guy. It's just, it's all right there. Um, and man, that energy, I remember that was like signed, sealed, delivered. My fate was signed and sealed in that instant. I said, okay, not only do I need to train and become a wrestler, but I need to wrestle here. Mm-hmm. And that was for IWS in Montreal. And so that's kind of how my, I don't know. Then I started getting trained in a backyard, yada, yada, yada. Here we are 16 years later. I'm in WWE. (laughs) That's a short version of my career. It's amazing though. Like the energy at like an independent wrestling show when it's, when it is like, you know, obviously there's some where there's no energy when it's kind of booked into an inappropriate large venue. But like when it's like, it's got that perfect kind of like, situation where it's a a packed venue and like you're like that close to the action that's happening like it is it's like going to a little hardcore show i mean that's that's what i was gonna say that's the parallel right there between independent wrestling in particular and punk i mean independent wrestling shows you might you know it's little punk shows and wwe is going to see like you know uh it's going to see bon jovi at the bell Mm -hmm. center Mm -hmm. so you know this is my introduction to punk concerts in a weird way even though it would be I don't know, a few more years before I went to my first punk concert, but um, actually that's not true. I was at a festival downtown Montreal one time and Grimskunk was playing and there was a mosh pit and I was maybe two, 14, 13. And that's I remember being awesome. so, in, so <laughs> intimidated and Angelo DeCorey, the kid I was telling you about earlier, you yeah. know, he just wandered into the pit and I thought, oh my God, he's dead. <laughs> like, that's it. I'm never going to see. And his father's trying to drag us away, like get through the crowd without us falling to the pit. And Angelo just goes into this pit. And I thought, oh, that's the last, that's, a, that's him then. That's him. He's done. a goner. He's a goner. That's it. Um, <laughs> but it, so, but, but you're absolutely right. That energy, there's nothing like the energy of an intimate, packed, little independent show. It's the same thing going to an intimate, packed punk show where the energy is just raw and you know every lyric to every song and there's 
there's honestly nothing more magical than that. There really isn't like some of my favorite memories of wrestling are really in those small tight venues where everybody you've just got them rocking and rolling and they're not even cheering wrestling anymore. They're, they're, they're dancing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, you might as well be playing an instrument. They're dancing. Mm-hmm. They're on their feet. They're, 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 they've lost their shit. They're, they're, there's, they're free from concern. They're free from worry. They're free from insecurity. They're free from it all for that one instant, for that one moment when you're doing your thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so liberating and so amazing. And I think that's what I love about being at punk shows is for that hour or whatever that I'm, you know, watching whoever against me or something like that, like some band that I know every single song, every single lyric. It's just, there's, you're free from concern. That's, that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's also, you've got that camaraderie too, like a lot, especially now, like it really feels like, you know, and, and this is, thanks to, you know, work by people like yourself, like it's almost like ECW was the velvet underground, the MC five and the stooges. And then the punk wave that begets everything in popular culture and music that eventually leads to Nirvana. That's like yourself and like Chikara and, and, and like the, and you know, Brian Danielson and, and, and CM Punk and Samoa Joe, like that's, that's the, the rise of like the, independent superstar yeah there's certainly a generational thing there i guess again you could definitely draw parallels between uh you know the the ecw and the the bands that broke ground and then the bands that would continue in the in that same vein and carry on that legacy even if it's in a totally different manner Mm -hmm. but it's still the same uh principles the same ethos behind it you know uh, definitely there's parallels there. The only thing is the cool thing for us is that our generation pretty much all ended up signing with WWE eventually. So I guess that would almost equate that to like the 94 punk boom when all of a sudden like offspring and, and green day and rancid are making all this money and, and everything like that. And it's like these bands that are just doing it to do it are all of a sudden getting compensated handsomely for it, which is a nice bonus, but that's part of the thing about punk that actually kind of pushes me away a little bit is this like it's sometimes the, the um, and I understand the reason behind it, but sometimes the rigid kind of rules for what's punk. I, I don't want to deal with all that, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, these guys are making money. They're sellouts. They're not punks anymore or whatever, you know? And it's like, what, so, so what you can't make a living, you know, what, do you need to die in the gutter eating a can of tuna to be punk? <laughs> so that stuff just never that didn't like that just didn't jive with me from day one, and um, it's part of the reason why again I talk about my personality and keeping arms length, keeping things at a distance. That's one of the reasons I never dove headfirst into punk culture, and it's the reason I'm not covered in tattoos and walking around with a mohawk and whatever. It's like, look, man, I like punk. I'm not walking around town telling everyone I'm some Mr. Hardcore punk man. And I don't know, you know, I don't, (sighs) there's so much things that are like punk, uh, staples that I don't know anything about. And it's like, you know, then guys go, what? You've never heard this. You've never heard that. How can you call yourself a punk? It's like, yo, (laughs) I'm not interested in this game. Okay. (laughs) So that's kind of why, um, and I joked with you about this last time. This podcast should be called, in my case, not turned out a punk, but 
turned out a guy who likes pun. <laughs> but I, I think, like you said, it did inform you. And I think that's the thing about this podcast. Like, even if you're like, you know, none of us are fucking Lars, you know, at the end of the day, none of us are Lars. And, you know, and then I'm sure Lars is like, well, I'm not, you know, like Mackie from Blitz or something, you know, like no one is ever going to be punk enough for everyone. But at the same time, like yeah. you're saying, I don't know the- who Blitz is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me tell you, Sammy, you just so, found it. Am I allowed on the podcast? You know what no, I mean? you've, you've got, you've got, you just found, you just, it's your lucky day. You just found like your new favorite band right here. Yeah. There you go. I'll check them out. Um, but I think like, that's the thing is like, it, it has impacted you, you know, and the way you question stuff and the way, you know, like that, I don't know, like it, it once again is a chicken or an egg thing, mm. but I think, you know, the lessons you learned from this music really early on have stayed with you. Like you are someone that questions everything a hundred percent that's absolutely correct Uh, uh, but again chicken and the egg like did it it's a nature nurture question Mm -hmm. but unquestionably the the while we can't say what came first we can definitely say that the impact that the music and the mentality behind the music has had on me and the message of the music has had on me especially believe it or not more in my uh Later in my adult years, even more so than my teenage years, uh, it's definitely resonated with me immensely and shaped me into who I am and the way I view the world, you know, for sure. That, that, that's for sure. Um, so let's call this podcast Turned Out a Guy Who Was Influenced by Punk. <laughs> that's what it is. Believe me, that's all yeah. the end of the day. That's, that's all I hope for is that this, you know, because it's once again, it, it is a music that a lot of people dismiss, you know, like. Maybe that's the other parallel to wrestling, you know, wrestling, something that a lot of people dismiss just looking at it at a surface level, but when you really Absolutely. engage with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, there's actually, I don't know. I just find there's nothing more beautiful than when you really, mm-hmm. when you get nuanced about these things, maybe that's part of what draws, draws me to wrestling and to punk because it is something that's so easily dismissed as stupid or, or crap, you know, like you hear mm-hmm. if people don't really, if their ears aren't used to that punk sound and you show them punk that you think is just revolutionary and like, this will change your life and make sure to listen to the lyrics. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta hear this and you show it to them. And to them, it's just like, rah, 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 it's just crap, yeah. you know? And so maybe part of that is that maybe that's the little defiant part of me. I'm like, nah, see, that's, that's a difference between you and me is I see deeper, man. You know, like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if maybe that's that, that contrarian is in me. I don't know. I'm sure that's an aspect of it too, but, but that is certainly something that punk and wrestling have in common is that yes, at first glance, um, you know, maybe kind of stupid conceptually speaking, you know, in, in theory, yeah, it's very easy to just take a quick look at it and dismiss it as something ridiculous. But if you actually dig beneath the surface and uh, understand the lever- levels of artistry and nuance and, uh, you know, uh, subversion, like you said, that could actually be in both these things that you wouldn't expect, that's there's something really cool about that. And there's certainly something about that that, that, that I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. And and I think like, you know, like you talked about the live show, like both of which on the best night are able to convey emotion and passion and, and something that very few things are able to do. Like I saw this wrestler one time, uh, El Generico, 
And, you know, I had heard about him and like, I was not sold on the idea, but in that moment, seeing him in the ring, uh, it made me believe in a way that like, I will never forget that feeling for the rest of my life. And that's compared to music. That's compared to painting any other art form. Well, I'm sure he would appreciate that compliment wherever he is. I think he's in an orphanage in Tijuana at the moment. That's what I've heard. But, but, but uh, that's a perfect example because there's nothing that sounds stupider mm-hmm. than El Generico. <laughs> you know, there's nothing stupider. There's nothing stupider. Uh, you know, you, you tell someone that name and it's just embarrassing to even say out loud. But if you actually watch the character and you actually watch the execution and the performance and the, the, the whole package, I mean, you know, it was, I, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like I, there was something to it. I mean, and, and I, can't, I can't be entirely wrong because it really affected a lot of people. Um, in a, like, I mean, a lot of people resonated with that character. A lot of people dug that character. So. So that's cool. You know, I know it looks stupid or it sounds stupid at first, but somehow if it lasts 11 years and it ends up getting you a job with the biggest company on earth, something must've been right. You know? Well, cause it's like, once again, like, you know, punk is just three chords and it's like a lot of times someone yelling off key into a microphone, but if it's done right, that can, that can change worlds, you know, like that can, that can shift the earth. So I saw Propaganda, you know, uh, Chris, I think he runs the, Chris Hanna is the guy who, from yes. Propaganda, who I think does the Twitter. Yes, he and does. so he's hilarious on Twitter and he posted this thing. I don't know what, but he made this comment about how, um, like 90% of punk bands are garbage or whatever, you know? And I thought, man, that's super funny. It's kind of true. And also same with wrestling. I mean, there's a lot of bad wrestling and there is a lot of bad punk music, mm-hmm. but when it's good, there's nothing like either of those things. I mm-hmm. swear to God, mm-hmm. there's nothing that'll put like, make the hair stand up on your arm. Like, like great punk music hitting you the right way, or just a great wrestling match that takes you on the right ride in front of the right crowd at the right place in time. It's, it's cosmic. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. cosmic. So many variables have to line up just right. But when it lines up, my God, there's nothing better on earth. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, like I wasn't around to obviously experience like the smoke filled arena days or anything like that. But at the same time, like I just look at the moment we're in for, for, you know, wrestling as an art form. And this is, this is like a glory day. Like this is like 1991 for music like right now like we are in an amazing period where there's just so much talent and like on a worldwide level yeah yes but you know um history is like time is just a funny thing you know and so how how it'll go down when it's all said and done uh that remains to be seen because you know a lot of times people look back on these glory days of whatever and they were not really all that good, you know, but we romanticize them a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and, and guys who were around for those times or those booms will be like, Oh, you should have been here. And you know, you should have been here in 88. You should have been here in 77. You should have been here in 94. Oh, you, you should, you know, like, was it, you know, we have a way of, of romanticizing some of these time periods and sometimes for the right reasons and, and, 
It's true. They were really a lot of great stuff came from that period. But sometimes, um, you know, and I'm, I'm talking more wrestling, but certainly punk too. A lot of times you go back and watch that stuff. Really not that good. No, exactly. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. You know, these old timers telling you about how, how it's so great. And, you know, you know, we used to do this. We used to do like, yeah, dude, I've watched your work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really, <laughs> please trust me. It just really, it, A, it wasn't that good. B, people thought it was real back then. So you had that little caveat that you're leaving out, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just, um, I don't know. So how this, how this time period in wrestling will will be remembered i don't know 30 years from now or the legacy that it leaves remains to be seen but i mean in the here and now certainly i enjoy it or i've i've enjoyed the last 10 years uh wrestling with guys that i thought were just extremely extremely skilled and i think if you put them in a time capsule and sent them back they would have been just as good in any one of those eras if not far far better mm-hmm. well now it's like it's like watching a Wu Ping fight scene with no wires, with one take, and and no stunt doubles. Right, right. It's like, like the- it's 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 a you, you have to judge things on um, on time and place as well, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, some of that some of that stuff that seems, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just use the Beatles as an example because we listen to Beatles now and it's just like it almost sounds old. Yeah, well, it is old, but it it sounds. It sounds like so many of the things you're hearing are just, we don't think anything to it. It's so commonplace in music. You're hearing all this instrumentation. But when they did Sgt. Pepper at that time, you'd never heard those instruments used on record, on a rock record ever. So, you you know, you can't just look at something through through the scope of today. You got to understand it for the time and place. Certainly the same could be said for punk, I think. I mean... You know, it's it's a lot of it is about the time, the place, the climate at the time, and the culture at the time, and and that's why it had such. That's why it shook the world. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Back to back to the journey of punk rock. What was your uh, very first show post Grim Skunk? Mm, uh, I don't remember. No problem. Oh, oh, but you know what? Funny, funny little anecdote. You know who opened up for Bon Jovi at that concert that I saw? Less than Jake. I knew. I <laughs> thought you were going to go there because they did do that one tour. This has come up on the podcast a couple times now. That is a uh, what an amazing opener could, for them to bring I, out. Dude, I couldn't believe it because at that time, so I did like punk, and you know, I did like Bon Jovi. So I showed up. Uh, you know, I didn't show up right at the beginning of the opening act. I didn't even know there was an opening act. I just showed up, and Less Than Jake was on stage playing "All My Best Friends Are Metalheads," and I couldn't believe my eyes or my ears. <laughs> you know, and the crowd was equally confused. <laughs> yeah, the rest yeah. of the people in Montreal are like, "Okay, what? I don't know what this is about, but all right." I couldn't yeah, imagine. So I guess in a weird way, that kind of counts. I couldn't imagine a more severe crowd to have to play to every night, as less than Jake than a Bon Jovi crowd. <laughs> yeah, God bless them. Now, yeah. after years as a performer, where you know you're put in uh, in front of audiences that maybe aren't really there for you, <laughs> you understand <laughs> the pain of that feeling, you know. Oh yeah, and I can't imagine the Bon Jovi crowd. Like, no disrespect to to Bon Jovi crowd, but like is necessarily the most like open-minded when it comes to bands that don't sound like Bon Jovi necessarily. Uh, yeah, I would say maybe definitely, <laughs> probably, 
you know, like, you know, they're, they want to hear about Tommy and Gina. They don't want to, uh, you know, talk, listen, people with trumpets talk about their friends sniffing glue. Like, they don't care. <laughs> it's not, that's not their scene, you know? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure maybe, hey, maybe somebody went home from that concert and said, went to HMV and returned their, you know, whatever, Celine Dion CD and said, hey, I got this as a gift. I don't want it. And picked up, you know, borders and boundaries or something like that by less than Jake. <laughs> so who knows? You never know. You never know. Maybe they turned one person. You never know. Yeah, you win them one at a time. And that's how you do this thing. You, you re- man, that's absolutely true. You Hard know, to I mind. think so. <laughs> um, well, so that's one thing that I, and I'd be curious to get your take on this yeah. because you playing in your band um, cause I get, again, I just think the worlds are so parallel of wrestling and music and especially punk and, and independent wrestling. It's so, so parallel. But so I approached my matches when I would go to an independent show, even as a guy, like various stages in my career. Uh, but let's say a little, like I've started to kind of make a name for myself. Mm-hmm. Right. So the same way your band has made a name for yourself, but you're not necessarily like a no effects or a rancid or a bad religion or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but you've got a name. So when you play on the bill, I don't know how it is for you, but I would almost approach that crowd. Like let's say I'm wrestling in front of 300 people in Italy Mm -hmm. and I'm the only, you know, North American import that was flown in for that show. And I'm wrestling like their local star or whatever star, their local guy, whatever you want to call them. And I approach it as if, okay, in this crowd, maybe 50 people know me, 50 people came here for me, maybe 100, but there's 200 people here who don't know me, have never heard of me, are here for whatever reason. So I was almost playing to like get them, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if it's the same for, for you at a punk show when you're, let's say, an opening act and you're trying to win over a crowd that's not yours, or do you really just play to your fan base I don't know if there's a parallel there or if there's a difference there, in definitely. mentality with how you approach that. I think I think for me it's like I look at it I like playing to people that don't know what to expect from us. Like I love opening for another band or playing on the middle of a right. festival because no matter what I do they're going to be like, "Oh shit, this is different." Like I think as long as you're different enough, it's kind of better to play in front of a crowd that has no idea what they're going to expect. Yeah. You know and I'll, I'll that's kind of one thing that I'll miss now because I've had a great career. I've no, 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 you know, no regrets. I'm very happy with everything. It was the, the journey for me. It was perfect. Uh, but you know, the one thing that I'll never get back now because I, I wrestle for WWE and it's a TV product. And so I'll never wrestle in, on a show ever again where the fans don't know who I am. I, the, the majority of fans don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'll either be wrestling for WWE in front of WWE fans with maybe a handful of people that were dragged to the show and don't know anything. But for the most part, I'm always wrestling in front of people who know who I am. And if I ever, you know, went back to the Indies, you know, one day, whatever, everyone would know who I am because of all the years of WWE exposure. So that feeling of being an unknown and trying to win over a crowd, I mean, that feeling was very, very rewarding for me. Mm-hmm. And that's something that 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 part of my career is over. That's something I'll never get back at this stage of that feeling of like, okay, these people don't know who I am. I'm going to do my act, and then and then you blow them away, and then you go to the merch table and you start making all this money. It's like, yeah, I I conquered this. It's awesome. So that feeling was very very rewarding for me. And uh, but but that those days are gone. But mm-hmm. that's just something that I don't know. I, I think about from time to time. But 
you know, what a rewarding feeling that was and how that stage is kind of over, kind of behind me now. Yeah. And I guess it's like in the same way you can never go back as a band to like, no matter how right. you reinvent yourself, you're still always going to be compared to what you did just before. Yeah. You know, and I think about, I think about that with music a lot where, uh, bands will have their sound kind of change or whatever. And, uh, and fans don't like it. They want to hear, you know, they want to hear how they sounded 20 years ago, but like, mm-hmm. yo, that was 20 years ago. They're, they're different people. <laughs> this is a different time. It's everything. Everything's different. You can't stay the same. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can, but I don't think you'll, I don't know. Some bands can kind of do that, maintain their, you know, signature sound throughout the years and, and not really experiment too much. But for me, I mean, you just can't, uh, you can't expect people to sound the same, stay the same, think the same as they did 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. Like you're just not the same person. I'm not the same person I was three years ago. What I think, you know, I think about this, I'm 13. Well, I, I think by the same token, bands can't expect fans to be the same people, right? And like what resonated with someone musically five years ago might not resonate with them now. And like you can, you know, be writing your best songs ever, but you can't really expect this person to connect with you the same way the whole way through their lives because, you know, like you're saying, people change. For sure. And, you know, a band that I actually have noticed that the most with is as against me. Because I'm a huge fan of them, but obviously, you know what? Five years ago, maybe it was now mm-hmm. Laura. You know, Laura Jane Grace came out as transgender, and now obviously that. I mean, that's a pretty huge change in in her life, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, you can't, you know, or, or uh, throughout their whole career, they were changing and evolving as a band, and they were criticized every step of the way. But you know, what do you want them to do? You want them to just play basements forever and be that band from 2001? You know, like you just can't, they, you, you change, you grow, uh, you know, you come out as transgender, all these things change. These are huge, huge changes in your life. And so the music is going to reflect those changes. But I really did notice it over the years of going to their shows in, in the audience, the audience is very different from, let's say an against me show that I might've went to in, I don't know what, uh, 2010, let's say versus now in 2018, it's kind of like a bit of a different demographic or a different uh, different vibe. And truthfully, the band is quite different from eight years ago. The band, the band really changed every few years, you know? But I think that's kind of the mark of a great band. And when you're attached to the band, you come along for that ride, you know? And uh, I guess some either stay on board or some jump off the ship. But But for me, I love watching that transition. I love watching that journey. I love watching some some group some band that i'm really invested in and watching them change because in a way even if they don't let you into their life the way we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast about keeping things at a distance or you don't really know everything about what this person's going through the changes in their music or the changes in their art reflect those changes in their life so that's their kind of way of letting you in even if they're not posting a selfie on twitter every day you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm yeah, and it's great to have those bands that you can grow old with, like to to have a band where you can, you know, as you grow up, they grow up and, you know, you can watch them mature. And like, especially if you find a band that's not going to let you down, like, you know, they might change their sound, but it's never going to be like, you know, uh, one of those 80s hardcore bands going hair metal. You know, it's it's always going to be somehow <laughs> right, right. connected. The, the depart- <laughs> It'll hopefully never be that big of a departure. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And like, and that's, <clears throat> you know, like against me is a perfect example. The Melvins to me are a perfect example. And like, yeah, uh, neurosis too. Like there's a, like, there's some bands that just like know what their sound is and have it figured out and kind of can, can age within that sound. You know, but so I don't know, there's also something really cool to me about getting outside of the box and doing things that are going to make your fans go, oh, what the hell? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's totally kind of punk if you want to talk about what's punk and what's not. In a way, isn't that the punkest thing of all, just doing what you want to do, like making art that's going to reflect how you feel, even if it doesn't meet your expectations for what you want out of me as an artist? Mm-hmm. You know, but, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. I think just doing, doing what you want to do, but ab- of course you may alienate some of your fans. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and like you whatever. said, it, it is at the end of the day, it's, it's entertainment. And, it's, and at the end of the day, it's commerce. And it's like, you know, like as much as you want to be true to yourself, you, lo- you, you do kind of owe your fans a little sure. bit, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, just- so I, I, I battle this, this is, I remember really thinking when I first started getting into the Beatles, like, uh, really, you know, starting to learn more about them as people and like Paul McCartney and John Lennon and the differences in their personality. Yeah. And it kind of got the feeling like Paul was about playing the hits and hits and, and catchy tunes and this and that. And towards the later end, especially of the, the Beatles, once the band, there's rifts in the bands and those personality differences really start coming to the forefront where John is more experimental and he'll do revolution nine, which is just garbage, but he did, you know, he just does it. And, and, you know, he's more about sending a message and doing his, doing what he wants to do as an artist. And so even uh, pretty early on in my wrestling career, I had this debate internally over, well, what's more important, uh, giving people what they want to see or just doing the art that you want to do. And if it's good, they will like it. And, you know, Bob Dylan is a perfect example of that. I love Bob Dylan. And this guy's had, you know, 50 lifetimes rolled into one career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was backlash to every time he changed his sound or every time, you know, there was a new aspect of his persona that came to the forefront and he was criticized. And, but you know what? He's just, he's Bob Dylan. And if he wants to put out a country Western album, he's going to do it and it's going to rule. And that's it. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, like you go to Bob. I've heard so many people say Bob Dylan's awful live. Don't bother going. And it's because you go to Bob Dylan and you don't know what you're going to get at all. You you don't know. (laughs) He he might just feel like playing slide guitar that night. He might not. He he might he might just do anything. He might come out wearing some silly hat and he'll you know I don't know. He might talk to the crowd for ten minutes. He might not even look at the crowd, which is what he did the last time I saw him. Did not acknowledge the audience even once. I was laughing the longer the went on, the more I was just dying of laughter because he never even looked at the crowd. <laughs> and I just found it so funny. I couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, this guy doesn't give a shit. He is playing. He is Bob Dylan and he's doing Bob Dylan. And that's it. He doesn't care if you're having a good time. He's not going to say, hey, Montreal. He doesn't care. He is doing. Here's You've paid to see Bob Dylan's art and that's what he's going to give you whatever he felt like doing that night. And I think that is totally punk, you know, but there is something to be said about what you said. You know, this is, it is commerce. You do have your fan base. You don't want to, you know, you got to play the hits. There's still an element of that too. But again, that's, and I might be ranting and raving here, but that's something as, as a performer that I've been deliberating for years. Yep. 
years about like where does the where does the audience's expectations of what I'm going to bring to the table where does that rank as far as my ability to explore other avenues or other you know other depths of what I want to do in my performance you know because if they're expecting left and I go right you know I don't know I don't know how that plays yeah well I think the audience also they eventually manufacture their own version of what you are you know and and I mean that like musician wrestler I mean any performer like the audience you know they don't know what's going on inside your head or inside the eternal dynamic of a band but they eventually just construct what they think you should be and like living exactly. up to someone's expectation like that is, is is impossible because you don't even know them dude and you just hit the jackpot word right there expectations and that Man, they smother you. They mm-hmm. just smother you. The expectations are the worst thing on earth. And again, that goes back to why I never, you know, there's a lot of reasons for why I am the way I am, you know. And uh, and part of it, just not to drone on here about my upbringing, but, you know, I was brought up Arab, Muslim house, and I went to school and I was like a white, redheaded looking Canadian kid. And, you know, just I didn't have a thick Arab accent or nothing. I was just like some normal redhead kid at school. So I grew up with these two completely different dynamics. And so this weird thing about my personality is how I never dive headfirst into any culture or subculture. I kind of just take pieces of them. The pieces I like, I kind of dip my toe in, and but, but that's it. And part of the reason for that is I don't feel like trying to live up to anybody's expectations of what it means to be a part of a genre, of a subcult, of a culture, of a subculture, of anything, because those expectations are just too heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, again, I can't, <laughs> I just can't be asked to, to, to find out every band and who played on what record and every seven inch and whatever. Like, if that's your deal, that's cool. But I just can't handle the burden of that. Like, if you want to be part of our punk club, you better know, you know, this rare pressing of a live show from Hamburg, Germany in 1989. I, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't live up to those expectations or I don't want to, I don't want to live up to those expectations. I don't want to play that game. But as you said, there's that, there's that dynamic that you do have to kind of adhere to as a performer where it's like, well, you know, you still want to, you still want to, I don't know. I like the feeling of playing those, going to a concert and being able to sing along to every song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I go to Bob Dylan, I can't sing to any of his songs because <laughs> he plays them totally different from how I grew up hearing them. Well, you know, he'll be halfway through a song and then I'll be like, oh, shit, this is Tangled Up in Blue. Okay. <laughs> you know, well, like. You got to figure he's been famous for so long now. And I really do feel like after a while, like, you know, any level of fame can start affecting you on like a real, you know, on a, on a, on a brain level. You know, and he's been famous for so long now. Like, I wonder what it must be like to be dealing with all those expectations that Bob Dylan has to deal with every well, day. Well, it's funny because I, I got into a particularly big Dylan kick recently and I saw some – by the way, I have no idea if we're following the format of your show anymore. Cause this is awesome, Sam. Do not worry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> this is a new format. Right. Should we talk more about punk because we can, we can always swing that back around. No, this is this, – believe me, this is all good. I think it's all related. <laughs> 
All right. It is. It really is. It's just, I don't know. I, I was, I was listening to some old Dylan interviews and watching these old Dylan interviews from, you know, after blowing in the wind and all that stuff. And he becomes sort of this, uh, you know, he didn't ask for it, but he sort of gets appointed as the, the like song leader, the protest song leader. And like, now you're about protest songs and, and he's doing some interview with like, you know, on a panel with all this media. And he's basically saying like, hang on, you're putting this on me. I'm not some protester guy. I'm not some political guy. And he said this one quote that I, I mean, completely, completely relate to a hundred percent because uh, especially with the political climate that we live in now, you end up kind of getting sucked into politics. And it's not because you care at all about politics, but it's because you care about humanity and humanity is ultimately ruled through politics. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you end up getting dragged into this dirty game that you are not interested in. You get into petty arguments that you're not really interested in. All you care about is sort of, uh, you know, the well-being of the world around you. And and Dylan said this amazing line where he just said, um, I don't think being on the same side of people that are struggling for something is necessarily being political, which I completely relate to. And, you know, again, uh, how I approach the world and my politics and my whatever charity work or anything like that. That's really the, 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 the feeling behind it all is it's really, I, I don't care to get political. I care about humanity. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, but tying that back to Dylan and just doing your thing, uh, you know, they tried to dump this sort of, oh, you're the leader of the protest song movement in the 60s and the, you know, whatever. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, don't put, don't, you, you're, you're doing that. I'm not doing that. You're framing me. You're packaging me how you want to package me. I'm just singing songs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the point of that rant was, but, <laughs> but, but, you is know, it, um, is that why you, like, so the expectations are dumped in your lap and, Dylan rejected this at a very early point in his career, it seems. And so like, you know, you did bring up your charity stuff right there, which, you know, I think is important because it's not like, you know, obviously you promote it and because you do have a platform, you know, like to, to raise funds and awareness about it, but you know, it certainly isn't something that you've, you know, like made into your identity. The fact that like, I do this great charity, come over here and look at me. But like, the fact is you are doing really good work now to you. Is that like, just something you kind of have to do. It's like not a political act so much as it is an essential act to do. Yeah. Um, well, so one of the main reasons that I partnered with the organization that I did, which is called SAMS, the Syrian American medical society. And for those who don't know what the charity is, it's basically, we helped, we launched a fundraising campaign that helped, uh, launch and sustain a mobile clinic on the ground in Syria to provide, to basically be able to bring healthcare to those that are stranded and have no access to healthcare. Uh, and it's something I'm very, very proud of that we were able to help as many people as we have. But one of the reasons I partnered specifically with Sam's who does all the legwork and all I did is, as you said, maybe raise funds, raise awareness and, and, and get the ball rolling and help facilitate this particular mobile clinic, the launch of this mobile clinic um, is because they are apolitical and, and they're, you know, they stay away from politics. They stay away from religion as much as they possibly can. And it's really just about saving lives and, or helping, helping people. And I think that should really be something that we, I I don't know, not into, to get into a whole worldly philosophical thing, but it's, it's just like, man, it sucks that you have to, you know, Oh, suddenly you have to choose a side. Are you blue or are you red? Are you a Democrat or you're a Republican who, you know, 
if you care about these issues, yeah, but on this side, this is what we think about this. And this is what we think about that. I mean, like, let's just dump all that for a second. And can we just focus on bare, <laughs> bare mm-hmm. essentials and bare, you know, just helping humanity. And I don't know, man, I don't know. It's, it's just like Dylan said, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be political to just be on the same side uh, as people that are struggling. You know, it shouldn't be a big controversial statement to say that, say that you, uh, you know, you have sympathy for the plight of the Palestinian people and that's viewed as controversial. <laughs> I don't think that's controversial at all. I think that's just being humane that you feel sorry for people. You know what I mean? Or that you wish they weren't in a bad situation. That's not, that shouldn't be a political statement in my opinion. But sadly, that's the world we live in. It is. It's all wrapped up in politics. As far as the charity stuff goes and like Sammy for Syria and, and, and donating to that, it's really just rooted in I'm, I'm a Syrian. I have a lot of family that was placed, uh, killed, uh, you name it, houses exploded, destroyed, whatever, you name it. Um, so, I mean, it's obviously more personal to me than it would be to average Joe, American you know, dude who doesn't have any relation to Syria. I get that. But so I'm trying to raise awareness and trying to help uh, people not, not to, it has nothing to do with me or whatever. It's just, if I have this platform, I may as well be able to kind of use it for something somewhat productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not that I think wrestling is uh, nothing. Cause you know, it does make people feel good. Yeah, I've been able, very lucky, because especially when you get on the WWE level, your work touches people. Like our fans, some of our fans, our work really uh, gets them through a lot of stuff. And so that's pretty cool. And I know punk music obviously does the same. You know, music has definitely carried me through some highs and lows in my life. Um, So just I think the bigger your platform is, I do think personally, I feel like there's a bit of a responsibility to, to do something positive with it, you know, but... What do I know? <laughs> no, and, and wrestling is like a, it's a political art form, you know, like you look at, you know, like the stories that are told in Lucha or like, you know, how Japanese wrestling came into being. It's like, it's, it's an art form that, that can express real political stories in a very direct way and connect with, it's the sport of the people too, right? Like it's, it's everywhere you go. It's like working people that love wrestling and it, yeah. You know, and that's that, one and of the coolest things for, me, for sure is that is our audience is the working class. And it's the people that we one thing about us versus like the NBA or NFL or, or actors or whoever other stars is we're really shoulder to shoulder with these people because of the way we, uh, you know, we we travel, we we rent cars, we drive through the country getting from town to town. You know, we're not always on private jets, uh, private limos and private buses and whatever. Mm-hmm. We're in rental cars. We drive to the next town. We stop at these gas stations. We run into our fans. We're at the airports. And, you know, these are the people that watch our show. And I think it's really cool that we get to interact with them. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. You know, I don't know. I, I definitely appreciate that, that we can be sort of these like working class champions in a way. I think that's awesome. Um, I, just because I have to, once again, go back to the punk and wrestling thing. I told you it wasn't going to be you. That's going to be scattered. It's going to be me scattered, Sammy. Um, but did you ever wrestle Mr. Zero or Ultramantis Black? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, uh, I did. Yes. I wrestled. I think I was in a multi-man match with Mr. Zero once, but I definitely remember wrestling Ultramantis Black because, uh, he is on the list of top three hardest people I've kicked in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember kicking him 
Because there's like, you know, that kick in the corner I do, my, yeah. my finishing move, the hell of a kick there in the, in the corner. There are three instances in my career where I remember going, oh my God, I just smoked that guy <laughs> so bad. Uh, and Ultraman is Black is one of them. And the other two people on that list are the last two people I would ever want to hit hard at all. And I completely obliterated them. Just, I felt their face in my foot. You know, I could feel my foot going through their, their skull and it was um, Jushin Liger was the other one <laughs> and Shalt Waltman, the one, two, three oh. Xbox is the other one. So those are two guys I have infinite respect for. And I accidentally just obliterated them with my kicks and Ultraman is black is the other guy, but I know he's got a punk band, right? A hardcore band. Absolutely. And I know he this actually just because I went to the record store and I was flipping through CDs and I saw him on the cover of a CD and it blew me away. And I was going to say that Mr. Zero may or may not play in his band. Oh, that's rad. I didn't know that. I, I had no idea what happened to him after all those years. Really? Well, Mr. Zero is a sub-pop recording artist now. That's pretty cool, yeah. He plays in the band. And it's funny because Ultraman is, is Black and I used to joke about like doing a band together or possibly a Misfits cover band or maybe just a band in general. But we used to joke about it, but clearly, I mean, he took it a little more seriously than I did. I, I never followed up, and, and, you know, he has a CD, so. Absolutely. And, well, and actually, uh, Mr. Zero's got, I think they have four records out on Sub Pop. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I had no idea. I will I will send you some stuff. I think you should check it out. It's some, some hot tracks. But that's, once again, just goes back to this thesis that you and I are caught, are trying to prove together that, Punk and wrestling are intertwined in a very, uh, very deep way. Oh yeah. And honestly, uh, so I know I've gotten sidetracked a lot on this thing, but if we, like, if you put the reins on me a little tighter and we ever did do a podcast specifically just talking about the parallels there, it's, it's the same thing. Only instead of, we don't, we don't sing our songs with instruments. We just use our bodies to tell our stories and express feelings and take you on a ride, you know? And that's what ultimately I think that's what it's all about. Punk and wrestling. It's just about being taken on a really great ride. I what love I, being on rides. So I want to be, you know, <laughs> I want to be the guy taking people on rides. Well, you've taken me on some amazing rides over the years, Sammy. And I thank you for that. Well, um, thank you. But also I think the other big difference though, is the fact that like punk rock, it's always like you and the crowd, you come do this. <laughs> And wrestling, it's like you have to maintain that wall of secrecy. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, although, you know, I always kind of joke about, uh, you know, people tell me like, oh, my kid loves wrestling. I go, yeah, that was me too. I just, I just took it too far. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> you know, that's all wrestlers are. It's not like it was in the 1950s where, you know, things were so secretive and if you tried to get in the wrestling business, they broke your leg so that you could go home and tell all your friends wrestling's real. Uh, it's not like that anymore. Like the business is somewhat accessible to anyone who's got a few thousand bucks to sign up to a decent wrestling school. The opportunity's there if you want it. It's, you know, so I do think it's still somewhat accessible because I, I mean, I did it. I was a kid who loved wrestling and then said, yeah, me too. I want to do that. And so then I just took the, the steps necessary to do that. And, but the, you're right. I think it is more prevalent in the punk mantra uh, that like this is a DIY thing. And hey, if you like if you like watching us on stage, you know, this could just be you just pick up a guitar. Oh, you don't know how to play. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, whereas in wrestling, it certainly does matter a little more if you know how to play because 
if you don't, you might, you know, really hurt someone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and from experience, you know, I, I I would much prefer to get caught backstage without permission at a punk show than caught backstage in Mexico at a wrestling event. That's a great point. You're right. So there is still, yes, that's a great point. And you know, you're going to jump on stage at a puncture and then dive off. You're not going to slide into the ring at a wrestling. No, God, unless no. you get your head kicked in. So, so you're right. There is a little bit of a distinction there where it's like, you, you're, you're right about that. There is a bit more of a clear divide with regards to wrestling. Like, look, this barrier, this is the ring. We are the performers. You are the spectators. We do this. You go yay. We do that. You go boo. Doop do doop do Go home, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas punk is certainly a little more inviting to those that want to be invited. Uh, if you're not interested in punk and you're at a punk show, <laughs> you know, ooh, God yeah. help you get through that two hours or whatever. I guess you could get moshed either way, backstage at a wrestling show or in front of the stage at a punk show. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, nowadays I'm, look, I'm in the middle of recovering from two torn shoulders. So the idea of being in a pit kind of makes me just shudder at this stage (laughs) in my life, even though there's nothing greater, you know, than than being in a good pit and just feeling free and all that stuff. But I got two, I got two shoulders and a job to think about. So my, my pit days are temporarily on hold. The thought of getting a halluva kick in the pit makes me shudder. (laughs) So I'm glad that you're on the other side of the pit now. <laughs> I I was once told at a show that I have the best mosh pit etiquette this girl had ever seen. And I took that as a real compliment because I really kind of do go a little nuts in these pits, but I'm not drunk. I'm not stoned. I'm not anything. I don't take anything. You know, I never have. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very controlled rage. So people will kind of be, you know, uh, the people on the outside of the pit will be very worried because I'm going so hard, but yet I never really touch them. <laughs> you know, or like if somebody's <laughs> going to fall into them, I kind of, I'm always there to deflect. And I, I, I really, uh, I really like being in the pit in a weird, like fatherly type role. You know, it's <laughs> kind of sick, actually. I don't even know what that's about, but I, I almost like to make sure everyone's playing, playing right. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't go for that swinging fists in the, in the crowd type stuff. And, Certainly not at the shows I'm at. I'm not going to the kind of, you know, hardcore shows where maybe that's a bit more permissible. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Just not I would, into that stuff. Well, I would say you and Seth Rollins then have completely different philosophies when it comes to moshing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, uh, I've never – I never really got into hardcore, man. I never did. I mean, you know, I just – I need the melody. That's the thing about like all the punk bands that I'm into – uh, you know, they're a little more melodic, generally speaking. I, I don't know. I just never got into the, the, a lot of hardcore. Uh, have you ever listened to Leatherface by any chance? No, I've heard of them, but I don't know them. I think I, that like, might be- I, I mean, I kind of, I like sick of it all a little bit and, uh, that's about as far as I go in the hardcore world, really. I would say Leatherface to me is almost like, like they're the band that Hot Water Music and all these bands kind of, I think got some level of inspiration from. But it's almost like Lemmy from Motorhead singing for a pop punk band. Right. Okay. That sounds pretty interesting. It could be your bridge band. They're on the streaming yeah. services. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I like, you know what? If it's, if it's melodic enough, if it's like I once heard Fat Mike describe uh, No Effects as melodic hardcore. And I think that's kind of a good descriptor for them in a sense. You know, it's got a very poppy kind of quality to it, but they're so far from pop. It's 
you know, especially with the drums and everything like that. It's definitely, I don't know that, that I could kind of swallow, but some of the like just straight up hardcore stuff is just not my jam. Well, I'm, I, I want to make you a mixtape, but we'll get to that at another time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I same- will prove my punk stripes. <laughs> uh, this has been amazing. Um, one final thing, because uh, I know you're friends with Chris Gethard. Do you know Aiden English and uh, Chris Gethard both have a very similar connection? Do you know? Are, have you talked to him about this? Did they both do... Did they both do improv at the same place, maybe in Chicago? No, they both can. They both owe some aspect of their career kicking off to one Tom Sharpling from the Best Show on WFMU, who Aiden, when he first got signed, called up and asked what he should call himself, and Tom Sharpling suggested Big Dumb Oaf, and Chris Gethard, <laughs> whose older brother used to prank call the show, and then eventually that's how Chris became involved. So you know, once again, huh. comedy wrestling punk it's all connected it's funny because um so i i joke well it's only a half joke really but uh you know i'm getting up there in years as fall as far as my wrestling career goes i'm only 34 but i've been doing this you know uh almost 17 years now so pretty much half my life and i don't know if i have another 17 years in me so let's just assume i'm closer to the end than the beginning mm-hmm. so i think uh, and certainly as a musician, maybe you can relate to this as well, but I think there's a bit of an existential crisis that a lot of um, performers go through when their day in the sun is sort of over. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And um, and then, you know, you see the guys that, like, can't let go and they're, like, stuck in the past and whatever. And so I kind of joke a lot about how, oh, yeah, one day I'm totally going to be just, you know, <laughs> I don't know who I'm going I'm to have some real – real identity issues on my hand. But part of me feels like, um, part of me feels like I won't only because I've always had some sort of some other interests outside of just wrestling. Like I love wrestling. It's, I owe my life to wrestling. Everything is, everything it's given me. I'm, I'm just eternally grateful for everything, but I'm also interested in punk and I'm also interested in comedy. And I always feel like, okay, like I could always try my hand at that stuff because like, (laughs) You know, punk, you can kind of suck, but it kind of like if you do it right, it almost doesn't matter or it almost makes it better. But certainly would it help if you were good? I just happen to not have any talent when it comes to music. Oh, don't worry. That does not stop you. Trust me. Take it from experience. Don't worry. Exactly. Like I can be like who – who cares if even if I'm like a joke and I'm 40 like more 55 and I'm gray and I'm like super beat up and I'm like this weird old dude on stage – there's still like some weird punk quality about that. Like, Oh, look at that old dude still trying to punk out and still giving it a shot at like playing in front of 40 people or whatever, you know, and, and comedy, there's kind of no age limit to that. You can do it whenever. So mm-hmm. I feel like those are other fun things that I'd like to try one day when my wrestling days are behind me. Although, you know, I really don't know. I don't, I'm not a big planner as far as like the rest of my life goes. I've just never thought that far ahead. But, you know, maybe I'm the kind of guy that will be a lifer and I'm in this business forever. Or maybe I'm a guy who uh, retires from wrestling and <laughs> becomes a front man for a really bad punk band or, you know, starts taking improv classes or tries his hand at stand up. I don't know. There's stuff I there's interests. I have interest in these in these things very much because, as you said, they are they're so closely linked and the things that make them awesome are all kind of the same. 
You know, like all three of those scenes are littered with garbage, but when it's good, ugh, mm-hmm. God, <laughs> you know. Well, anytime you want to trade for a day, you know, you teach me to. Sorry, go on. Sorry. No, no, sorry. That was it. I was going to say, anytime you want to trade for a day, let me know and uh, <laughs> yeah. you can teach me some stuff and I can, you can, you can go out with the band for a while. Um, Imagine the confusion on all your fans' faces <laughs> when this guy comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this has uh, been a huge thrill to get to do this with you. And I have asked you to be on this show forever and I forced you to do it three times now, but I now will ask you one more time, put you on the spot at some point in the future, down the road, would you come back and do a part two? Ah, the famous part two. Yes. (laughs) I'm still waiting for part two of, uh, (laughs) of, of Chris Hanna, of Joey Cape, of Laura Jane Grace. (laughs) It's it's hard. I'll agree to part two the same way everyone agrees to part two. Whether it happens or not, that's that remains to be seen. But sure, I mean, I, 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 dude, I can talk a lot. It's kind of a problem. I can just talk about a lot of nonsense for a very long time. So, if you want to just chat, and if you happen to record it, and uh, some people have some moderate interest in hearing us blab about all this stuff and about you know a lot of stuff that didn't really maybe pertain to the podcast <laughs> to begin with, that's totally fine by me. Oh uh, well. Call yourself Moby Dick because you have been a white whale, Sammy, and this has been a huge thrill <laughs> getting to do this. Thank right you, my on. friend. Yeah, thank you, man. Great chatting. I'll record so now. I, yeah. <laughs> Bonus part. Yeah. Yes. How I first heard about fucked up. So I was uh I was in Tokyo and uh this is back when I was with DDT and I was staying with Kenny Omega and I would uh, those are some of my favorite times in Japan that year or two where I was in DDT and I'd stay at the DDT house and it was me and Kenny and we'd, we'd watch 80s action movies and, and Batman cartoons and it was just the best. And so one night, it's like a Saturday night and I, I'm trying to find a punk bar to go to. It'll play punk music. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I find a place, but it's, you know, it's Shinjuku and it's, you know, Tokyo, everything's on like the fifth floor and you take an elevator and I don't know how to read all the addresses and all this stuff. But somehow, some way I'm wandering the streets and I see a, a sign that has like the, uh, you know, God save the queen with the deal over her mouth, kind of like the old <laughs> sex pistols thing. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, this must be the spot. So I go in there and it's, it's, it's a tiny little Tokyo bar. So there's maybe, I don't know you've been to a bar in Japan, but it's, it's the size of a closet with yeah. five stools, you know? Yeah. And there's these three dudes and this guy behind the counter and he's just smoking, doesn't acknowledge my existence when I walk in <laughs> and uh, they're just playing whatever. And I get to talking to these guys and none of them are Japanese. One, they're like, I don't know, one guy's from Germany or they're all foreign. They all seem to be business people, but they like punk, you know? Yeah, and so this guy, the bartender is just the funniest thing because I just have this visual of him just puffing smoke, and he seemed so annoyed that we were there. <laughs> and they were asking him for songs like "I'll oh, play this," and he'd be like so pissed, but he would begrudgingly <laughs> play everything they were asking. And I'd be like, "Yo, do you have do you have this?" And he'd just like, "Why are you here?" He just couldn't stand it. It was so funny. <laughs> but so this one guy goes, uh, "Oh, can you play Fucked Up?" And he starts playing. Uh, I want to say it was like something from david comes to life it was queen of hearts is that the one you had a video for yeah yeah with all the kids in the school and yeah that's exactly the song yeah so i'm watching this i'm like oh man this is awesome i go who is this he goes oh 
I just, I don't know why this line is like tattooed in my head. He goes, you don't know fucked up and this like weird <laughs> German accent. And it was going back to what we talked about on the podcast. It was, you know, he pulled my punk card. Like what? You've never heard of fucked up? Dude, you know what I mean? Uh, uh-huh. but, but he did it with this super hilarious thick German accent and I'll never forget that line. You don't know fucked up? That's that just awesome. stuck with me. That's the first time I heard of your band. Perfect parallel between punk. I, I just press record again that. now. As soon as you said that, I'm like, perfect. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So Terminator Two to me is all that's perfect about a movie, but it's also what I aspire for in my in my wrestling, in my personal career as, a, as an artist, but also in probably just in punk as well. It's just what I desire. So Terminator Two to me is awesome because it, it checks all the boxes of what I think are important. Let's say in wrestling, but again, probably in punk too. It's a combination of not just, it's not just the visual effects that make that movie, even though it's got amazing visual effects. It's also the combination of the characters and the story. And for me, it's those three boxes that make a great wrestling match. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, you can't just do tricks. You can't just do cool stuff because that's very exciting, but on a, on a one level. So it's the same thing kind of with punk. Like even if you, if you're just a great musician, like I'm, I'm not all that impressed by just great musicianship or I am, I can appreciate it, but on a very shallow level. And then I quickly check out emotionally. Yeah. But then when I can get behind the story of your band or the characters in your band and your music rules, and you've got like great hooks, now you've checked all the boxes and that's what draws me in. So it's a combination of those three things, those three elements that to me, are the difference between 95% of the punk bands and the 5% that I listen to is like, they were able to hook me because their songs are great. They're, the story of the band is somehow like, you know, relatable and the characters in that band I, I can relate to as well, or I'm drawn to them or they're funny or, or there's some charm or they're, they're remarkable in some way. So I do think there's a parallel there between Terminator to punk rock and pro wrestling <laughs> in that, Another thing that, that I think is really cool about that is Terminator 2 can be appreciated by like the dumbest of the dumb who just likes to see stuff blow up. Or if you're looking for more nuanced things and like, oh, but there's actually, you know, like religious overtones and like subplots and, you know, all these interesting things that if you watch it two or three times, you start picking up on things. And it's actually kind of a social commentary for the direction of where mankind is headed and all these things. So it could be appreciated on a really, really one dimensional level, or it could be appreciated on a really intellectual level. So you can pretty much, I mean, it caters to everybody in that regard. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And ages eight to 80 could enjoy that on some level. And I think, again, that's the same thing with great wrestling. Like you go out there and you just do a bunch of cool stuff like, all right, whatever, but I don't care. You go out there and, you know, you tell me a good story, but the match is just like headlocks. I don't care either. You know, it's like you kind of got to check all those boxes. And then I think that's what the difference between something mediocre and something you know, great or timeless or that I would babble on about for 30 minutes on a podcast about that's, that's the difference is checking those boxes. Thank you, Sammy, for coming on the show. And you heard it right there and, and you heard him, you know, read me the riot act 
about this, but Sammy will be back for part two. And yes, Sammy, I promise I'm going to get to more of those part twos. You know, it's, it's hard to get those schedules to align. I've reached out in some cases. Sometimes they've nearly happened, but we got distracted and ended up talking about other stuff. You know, part one, part one's easy. Part two, part three, part four, part five. Those are... Those are harder, you know, they, you know, when, once you get over that initial, how'd you get into punk, you know, you, you end up get, getting distracted when you're talking, you know, so you end up talking about other stuff and, and not pressing record. That has definitely happened with a couple of people that were mentioned, but we will be getting to more part twos in the future, including you, Sammy. I promise that. Promise that. Uh, also check out some of the episodes that he mentioned in there as well. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff in the archives. A lot of cool punk wrestling connection stuff in the archives. And it, yeah. Um, and also check out SammyForSyria.com and, and please do support that if you are able to. And uh, that's it. Oh, get well soon, Sammy. Heal. Can't wait to get back on TV. And, uh, you know, in El Generico, wherever you are, uh, you got you got a fan for life right here too. Whew, that was a fun one. That was a fun episode. Speaking of fun, next week on the show, the creators of HBO's funniest TV show, animated TV show, Animals on HBO, which is an incredible TV series. Phil and Mike, creators of that show, will be on Turn Out of Punk next week and talking about how punk rock, this genre that apparently, supposedly, died way back in 1978 is having an impact today on everything from HBO TV shows to professional wrestling superstars. I tell you, what a world we live in. What a punk rock influence world we live in. So blame punk for the world being shitty right now, I guess, too. You know, you got to take the, you got to take the good with the bad. And there you have the facts life. Okay. I'm, I'm very tired. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Go out there and make your own culture. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, thank you very much to Vans. Rest in peace, House of Vans, Brooklyn. Thank you for the good times and the great memories. And I will see you next week. Uh, go out there and make your own culture. Thank you for listening. I love each and every one of you. Uh, have a good week. Bye. And sign your God. Damn organ donor cards, please. Everyone do that. Thank you. Love you. Bye.